back online with a gospel treasury continuing where we left off in the gospel of luke chapter one interesting note luke chapter one is one of the longest chapters in the bible the events it describes are not depicted in the other gospels we will spend at least one more episode dedicated to the remainder of this chapter another note on top of the interesting note The Bible did not have any chapter or verse divisions as we have today until they became widely accepted and standardized roughly 500 years ago. Such development, although not perfect, still serves as a major benefit for everyone who reads and studies the Bible. In this episode, we will read and comment on two events, the announcement of Jesus' birth and Mary's visit to Elizabeth. These are written out in verses 26 through 56. Please make an effort to read this prior to continuing this episode. Let's begin with 26 and 27. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Six months after Elizabeth got pregnant, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the other end of the country, a less spiritually inclined and a more working-class-minded region of Galilee named so after a prominent body of water on which the local habitat and economy rely on. He appeared to a young girl named Mary. In the Greek writings, the actual name is Miriam, same name as a sister of Moses and Aaron in the Old Testament. Mary is the English form of a Latin form Maria, which is what the church scribes penned in Latin Vulgate, which is a Bible translation which dominated in the church for hundreds of years. The meaning of the name, interestingly, is not certain, which is odd for such a major character, but it does partly reflect her humble character that brings so little attention to herself on the pages of the Bible. Mary was engaged to a man named Joseph. We will read more about Joseph once we get to the Gospel of Matthew. Luke does point out that he was a descendant of David, which was imperative for the Messiah. But in an equal or greater measure, the scripture points out that Mary was a virgin. She never had any relations with a man. It was necessary for Christ to be born of a virgin to validate his divinity. Verses 28 through 31. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, 
and his and you are to call him Jesus. Angel introduces Mary as a highly favored one or full of grace, a particularly popular expression regarding Mary in some denominations in accordance to, once again, the Latin Vulgate. The angel said, The Lord is with you, a statement which recollects the Hebrew name Emmanuel from Isaiah 7.14. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. The name which means God is with us. We will see this connection again and expand on it later in Matthew's Gospel. Mary was greatly troubled less with Gabriel's appearing and more with his words. She was distressed, perplexed about the greeting. This shows that Mary was thoughtful and considerate. She paid attention to the details. We shall see more of this characteristic later in Luke's account in chapter 2. Latin Vulgate, along with other English versions, add the words, Blessed art thou among women. Most Greek manuscripts don't have that phrase expressed by the angel, hence why the NIV does not include it. This is, however, repeated by Elizabeth later on, so it is by a large measure a valid statement. Please note, the phrase is, blessed are you among women, not above all women. The main point of the angel's appearance was, of course, to announce her role in the coming of the Messiah. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus, Yeshua, God is salvation. In the next two verses, Gabriel goes into more detail about Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Angel described Jesus to Mary in the following ways. First, he will be great. This greatness was not immediate. Jesus was not born into greatness. His greatness came through humility. Paul the Apostle very succinctly described this course in his letter to the Philippians. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Philippians 2, verses 7-10 through 10. Second, he will be called the Son of the Most High. In the Middle East, uh, in a Semitic mindset, to be called the son of someone is not just a form of identification. A phrase, the son of, was often, was often used to refer to a particular characteristic of such father. For example, the Bible has the following, son of wickedness, Psalm 89 verse 22. 
son of destruction, John 17, 12, son of encouragement or consolation, Acts 4, 36. Jesus is the son of the most high. The rest of the statement we may combine into one. He will be given the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will never end. God promised King David in the Old Testament that his throne would last forever. 2 Samuel 7.16 The physical royal state of Judea in the times of Jesus was far from being independent or self-sustainable. An earthly kingdom is what the Jews were hoping for, but God's promise has much further implications. When the resurrected Christ appears in the book of Revelation, he said, I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. Revelations 22:16. This he spoke in his celestial state, ruling over the new Jerusalem. So upon hearing this, Mary asked a very reasonable question. Verses 34 through 38 in our main text. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, so no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At first glance, it appears like Mary was unsure of her fate in a similar way Zechariah was in the previous story. However, Mary's question was of a much different tone. Zechariah was a married man. Without getting into details, he knew exactly what must occur in order for his wife to become pregnant. But Mary was not yet Mary, she was not yet married. Her question was not considered a doubt. She wanted to know how such an event would be accomplished. Mary wanted to know if she needed to do anything about it. The conception of Jesus is a mysterious one, to say the least. The Bible does not offer any specifics of this occurrence, but based on the words of an angel, it involved Mary alone. There was no grand commencement, no fire or smoke from heaven, no earthquakes or loud sounds of a trumpet. He says, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. This denotes a gentle, caring operation of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the only person who would have any kind of initial understanding of what happened to Mary was Elizabeth, the wife of Zechariah. We don't know how exactly they were related, but the news of Elizabeth's pregnancy was given to Mary as a sign or a confirmation of God's promise. For no word from God will ever fail. Or as other translations read, for nothing will be impossible for God. Despite this most 
unusual event that has likely brought serious inconveniences, Mary made a choice to submit herself to the will of God. Moving on to verses 39 through 45. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped from joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Mary wasted no time after the angel's visit and traveled roughly 100 miles south to visit Elizabeth. During their greeting, the Holy Spirit revealed to Elizabeth that the Messiah will enter the world through Mary. The following elements are pointed out in this warm reception. John the Baptist acknowledged Jesus even from his mother's womb. This is not to say that babies can consciously communicate with one another during their fetal development stages. It was God who used this steering as a method of communicating His will. A similar story, albeit with a much different framework, uh, happened in the Old Testament with Isaac's wife, Rebekah. You may look into it in Genesis 25 from verse 20. Next point, Elizabeth identifies Mary's blood relationship to Jesus. The Holy Spirit revealed to her that she is an actual mother. She is not merely a surrogate or some shell utilized to bring someone up. They have a true relationship. In addition, Jesus was barely conceived and he was already recognized as a person, something to consider when speaking on the topic of abortion. Finally, Elizabeth points out Mary's faith and obedience. Holy Spirit confirmed through Elizabeth that Mary truly believed in what was announced to her. She was not skeptical. Such acknowledgement resulted with Mary glorifying God in a hymn now titled Magnificat, named after the opening word in the Latin Vulgate. First half of this praise is as follows, verses 46 through 49. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, or my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. In this part, Mary praises God on a personal level, reflecting on what he has done for her. Notice how she calls God her Savior. Mary was just like any other person in the world. She needed salvation, and she recognized that. Unlike any other person in the world, however, is the fact that she conceived 
by the work of the Holy Spirit, and Mary knows that this makes her one of a kind. But she was chosen for such fate, not because she was holier than thou. Mary lived out her life in a way every believer is called to live, in humility, with anticipation of a coming of the Messiah. Verses 50-55 through 55. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped His servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. In this second part of her song, Mary speaks about God's favor and judgment in relation to all people, particularly Israel. It follows a pattern of the entire Bible in regards to God's attitude towards the proud and the humble, the ones who are full of themselves versus the unassuming ones. The entirety of the song is especially reminiscent of Hannah's prayer of thanksgiving in 1 Samuel chapter 2, where Hannah rejoices because God answered her prayer for a son. Verse 56 in our main text, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Mary likely stayed with Elizabeth until the birth of John the Baptist. She then returned to her original home, all of which suggests that she was still not married to Joseph. Next episode, we will conclude the first chapter of Luke, which talks about the birth of John the Baptist, and we are going to look over the genealogy of Jesus. Yes, we will read all the names recorded in the ancestral family line of Jesus, so brace yourselves. Until next time, farewell. Farewell.